0: People who are described as folks who acknowledge awe are people who are also described as being more humble, and they are more likely to give other people credit for their own personal success. It gives us a more realistic understanding of our place in nature. We're a small cog in a big, a big planet. So I encourage all of us to think of awe as another little dose of medicine, practice it. Practice all. It will make us more resilient.
1: You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and I am grateful you're tuning in. The voice you heard at the beginning is my guest for this episode, Dr. Connie Jennings. She is the Medical Director for UK Healthcare Integrative Medicine and Health. In this episode, we have a nurturing conversation about nature. Dr. Jennings has an abundance of joy, passion, and knowledge to share, so I'm excited to share our conversation with you. Some of what you'll learn includes how nature can dramatically improve our physical and mental health, why we should seek moments of awe in nature, and what nature can teach us about resilience. We also share some of our favorite nature spaces on or near the UK campus, and Dr. Jennings leads us through a short guided imagery nature meditation toward the end. Before you get into the episode, I hope you'll take a moment to hit the follow button in your favorite podcast app so that you can keep up with future episodes. We have some exciting changes on the horizon that I don't want you to miss. I also want this podcast to continue to add value to our community, so I welcome any feedback or suggestions for topics or guests. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Connie Jennings. Welcome, Dr. Jennings. I'm so
0: delighted to have you on the show. Good morning, Jacob. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation.
1: Can you first tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do here at UK?
0: Well, thank you. I've been an internist here for several decades. In the last five, six, seven years, I've been the medical director for the integrative medicine department.
1: So what led you to medicine initially and what keeps you going?
0: Hmm. What led me to medicine? You know, I'm not really sure about that, but I do remember being a kid and having dolls and playing outside under a lilac bush. And I always had a hospital. I always had dolls in hospital beds and they miraculously became well. <laughs> so they were living out in the garden and that was how I grew up playing. I also had a close friend who was a public health nurse. Her name was Edie, and she wore a white dress, white uniform, white shoes, white hat—that starched hat—and she let me go on house rounds with her in our county. Mm. And I think that really made an impression on me.
1: Yeah, that's really cool to hear how play became reality yes, too, and exactly. shows you the power of that as a kid. Yeah,
0: exactly. And um, sometimes that keeps you going.
1: Yeah, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about UK Healthcare Integrative Medicine and Health as well and the services you all provide to not only the community, but for our employees as well?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jacob. This has been a a great clinic for us. We are seeing incredible growth. We are seeing community members who make their own appointments. Our providers can refer inpatients and outpatients there for services. And our own staff, faculty, students can make appointments to help keep them at their best.
1: What are some of the services you all do provide?
0: Well, our clinic is on the third floor of the Whitney Hendrickson Building. And there you can make appointments for acupuncture, massage, Reiki, narrative medicine, music therapy and art therapy are John in the hospitals and outside the hospital Um, we also have the animal assisted therapy program which you see dogs all over the hospitals now and i may be leaving something out but i think i hit just about everything there
1: yeah hit the big ones for sure your group has been a partner of ours for quite a few years we partner on quite a few things including our monthly chair massages
0: and speaking of partnering i left out yoga Oh, yeah, that's another good we one. We do yeah. yoga together,
1: yeah. Yeah, I probably should, have, probably should have picked up on that one, too. <laughs> yeah, so to, you, to steal the term integrative, we, we've integrated with you all quite a bit on a few services. It's been really nice to, to partner with you all um, on some of those projects, and we've sat on different committees and things together, too, yeah. so that's been fun.
0: It's really fun to interconnect all the way across the university, mm-hmm. the whole campus.
1: Yep. I know you're also working with Walk with the Doc. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit, too?
0: Walk of the talk is so fun. If you don't know this, it's an international program, and it's all around the world. And the purpose is simply to meet and walk. So we meet with community members that we would have never met otherwise. We have faculty members from all across the campus come to lead the walk. we um we meet often at the Arboretum, and we spend about 5 to 10 minutes just talking about why it's good to walk, and then we take off, and we have an opportunity to walk with different people during that couple of miles around the Arboretum. So it will um, start up again on June the 8th at the Fayette Mall for those who like to walk indoors. So at the Fayette Mall, it'll be the first Thursday at 9.30 at the Food Court And on Tuesdays, we'll be walking the second and fourth Tuesday at the Arboretum at 530. And if anybody wants to be the doc and help lead the walk, please contact me.
1: Perfect. We'll put some of that information in the show notes as well so people can access that later, catch those dates, and if there's any links or anything to link them to, um, I'll add those in there as well for folks.
0: That'd be perfect. Thanks.
1: So how about a little bit about yourself, particularly outside of work, maybe what you find joy in or what you do for Mm self-care?
0: It's a nice question. You know, we really got a chance to examine this some during COVID. Mm -hmm. And during COVID, when we were at home a little bit more, I did more walking around the community. My husband and I walk every day, but when we had more time at home, I found places around town I'd never walked in. And it was almost like a travel log. I loved walking in neighborhoods I'd never been to before. And also during COVID times, I spent more time in a swing. I grew up swinging outside, and I'm lucky enough to have a swing outside our bedroom door. And so sitting in that swing on the second floor, all I can see are treetops and the sky. And I became kind of a Cloud roadie. (laughs) I just followed the clouds and found myself doing what I did as a kid. And that is finding pictures, images, Mm -hmm. drawings in the clouds. And I had a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, what an amazing mindfulness practice too. Mm-hmm. I think they've been used as a metaphor for mindfulness and meditation in the past, but also a, like an actual practice you could go usually do. In the I think um, the episode also really have well this into our box of table today. topic yeah, conversation starters, and I usually just pull one at random, and neither one of us knows what the question is, so <laughs> I'll pull it out here, and we'll both answer. So let's see what we get. Which book dramatically influenced your life?
0: Well. I have a favorite author. She's a children's author, Kate DiCamillo, and she wrote those fabulous books like um, Waiting for Winn-Dixie and "Despero." She's written many since then, and she's become my favorite author. I love reading those books. I read them over many times, and I adored reading them to our children. Whew.
1: Selecting one book is tough. I was not a reader growing up, by any means. I was definitely, on the the theme of this episode, I was the outdoor kid. I was outside, you know, as many hours of the day as I could possibly be. I didn't spend a whole lot of time reading. (laughs) Reading was not a pastime that I enjoyed. So I think from a a pivotal standpoint, folks who know me particularly know that I'm a a big Harry Potter fan. Mm. and. I think that that was kind of a catalyst for me going into like teenage and adult years to actually enjoying reading. Um, So I'll kind of collectively say maybe the the Harry Potter series, but particularly the second book um, is where I sort of jumped in in that process. So Chamber of Secrets, I guess I'll I'll say as my answer.
0: I just remembered this, Jacob. This kind of led to Kate Camillo, maybe, but um, when I was in the fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Willis, allowed me to read a book to the class. So Charlotte's Web will always be one of my favorite mm. books.
1: Oh, that's my nightmare. <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious that I host a, host a podcast now, because if you called on me to read in class, that was like the most terrifying thing you could have possibly done to me as a kid. <laughs> so it's funny. I've come a long way, I guess. Yeah, I really enjoy reading now. I, like, rip through books at a much faster pace than I used to. Um, As a kid, i probably read more books in a year now um, than I probably did as a kid. It was like pulling teeth to get me to sit down long enough to read. So, yeah, we, we all can change, I guess, is the moral of that story.
0: And now you have a little one to read, too.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually really enjoy reading out loud now, too. That's been the funny thing. I've noticed that I, like, really love character work. Yeah. Like reading children's books that has multiple characters and like he doesn't really know what the characters should or should not sound like. Sometimes I don't even know what they, they may be in books that have come out since I was a kid. Um, they don't have a cartoon or anything associated with them. And it's been really, really fun <laughs> to sort of develop those characters, especially the more practice I get reading the same book over and over again. Grumpy Monkey has been yeah, one of my favorite yeah. ones. I feel like I have all those characters down really well. They all have distinct voices and mannerisms and things like that. So he gets gets into it quite a bit. Um, and my, my Yoda voice has gotten pretty well, too. We got a few Star Wars books. Um, that's one of my go-tos. But I'm still trying to master Winnie the Pooh.
0: Oh, that's a good one. That's a tough one. Yeah.
1: All right. So let's kind of jump into our conversation. We've talked about it a little bit already, kind of alluding to sort of that power of nature. And we recently had Earth Day. It's kind of the the height of spring right now. The weather's been really, really great. Feels like one of the best springs we've had in a while. Um, So I thought it'd be great to just talk about the power of experiencing nature. And I knew you'd be a great guest for this. So I normally like to start our conversations with some sort of, you know, definitions or data, but I'm actually going to mix it up. Can you just tell us about a time that you experienced the magic of nature?
0: Yeah. I'm now in grandmother school. So... I think I've lived long enough when I can talk about the old days now. And when people in my generation were growing up, we were outside all the time. Both sets of grandparents had farms. We were on all the time. I went to camp every summer and lived outdoors all summer. And so we didn't know we were seeing nature as medicine, but we were. And I think it's... Made a big impact in the rest of my life. There are days, not too long ago, it was, I think it was about three or four years ago, I was going through a time at work when it was just busy. It wasn't bad, it was just busy, and you hardly had time to look up. And I remember the day sitting at my desk thinking, I have got to get outside. I don't know if I've ever really thought that before, but I thought it that day, and I, I did. I got in the car and I drove to the Palisades and it, it changed the day, it changed the week, changed the month. So um, I think there's a voice inside of us sometimes that takes care of things like that for us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to work hard to hear it, but um, I like to remind people to listen to that voice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a grand question. And I think for me, the answer to that question would be visiting the Grand Canyon. So this, Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people who have visited the Grand Canyon have had sort of that same experience. It's one of those things that just sticks with you. Oh yeah. I always think about the Ron Swanson quote from Parks and Recreation where he says like, crying is only acceptable at funerals in the Grand Canyon. And (laughs) I'm not afraid to admit that I definitely got a little weepy at the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Um, Just that first initial sight and I'm just getting out of the car and just stopping and looking over the edge. It was just, uh, just the vastness of mm-hmm. that um, is something that has absolutely stuck with me, and and one of those times where I've sort of felt that that magic of of nature and what it is and what it can do. Um, and I've I mentioned in a previous episode as well about visiting Muir Woods. Um, I think that was another one for me, kind of being among sequoias in the the cathedral, I guess that they call it. That was another one that I. I draw back on um, when I need to, to kind of think about that connection to nature. So I'm excited to kind of dive into the reasons why here in a minute as well, but.
0: We call those weak knee moments. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So what about it, that experience of going to the Palisades really made it so kind of inspiring or healing for you?
0: Well, for one thing, it it definitely made an impression on how much it changed me for that moment. You know, there's a lot written these days by scientists who have named this the nature deficit disorder. Mm. And we all probably have a little bit of nature deficit disorder. If you think about how long we've been humans and how much of that time has been in settlements I mean, it's just a sliver. It's just a sliver of time that we have lived in communities. Mm-hmm. The millions and millions of years before that, we were part of nature. We were organisms, mm-hmm. just like the trees, just like the mice, just like the ants and the fish and the plankton. We are organisms on this planet. But in this small little sliver, the last few hundred years, things have been different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dan Stone in the previous episode talked about like how mindfulness helped us get in touch with what it was like to be human 250,000 years ago. And I think this is kind of that same concept. Getting out in nature, I think reminds us that we are human and as being a human, we're an organism. And kind of that connection, I think, um, is calming and draws us in or at least gives us that reminder that we sometimes desperately need, I think.
0: In more ways than not, in ways that we don't really comprehend sometimes. Now, there's this concept now called forest bathing, and it's about simply walking in the woods. Well, we didn't study this before, but now we do. There are things in the woods called phytonicides That are actually the essential oils from the trees Mm -hmm. and the undergrowth and the shrubs. And when we inhale those, when we inhale the essential oils from a tree, we're healthier. When we brush our hands past a shrub, we get oils. And it makes us healthier. It helps us fight disease. Just the same way that these oils help the trees fight disease. Mm
1: Yeah, it's amazing the the amount of research that's been coming out because I think it's it's still like a relatively new field of research, mm-hmm. um, even though again it's something we've kind of maybe innately felt as you know a species, exactly. Um, but now we're kind of putting the science to it and understanding a little bit more of why. I think a lot of that has come out of Japan. I think is a yeah. as a big society that um, really believes in forest bathing and kind of been on the the forefront of the research and the practice aspect of that as well. So it's been really interesting to see that and see um, how it's grown and how we can start bringing it into our society as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. The Japanese agriculture and fishery department developed that word in the 1990s, shinrin-yoku. Mm-hmm. That's the Japanese word that mean, literally means forest bathing. Yep. And it is catching on. Mm-hmm. It's a good medicine.
1: I have family that live in Germany, and um, I spent quite a bit of time there one summer I went and spent like three, three and a half weeks or something over there, um, stayed with family. And that was a really interesting experience because it was much more a part of their culture that I was Mm -hmm. not used to here specifically um, growing up in central Kentucky. I think we have access quite a bit compared to much more urban environments, but um, it still wasn't so much a part of the culture um, where it was like that sort of idea of forest bathing, I think, was there with them as well. And just the, the structure and a lot of their pathways to get from one place to another actually kind of cut through a nice little like cropped up forest <laughs> that they had maintained. And they were really, you know, wide walkways and really, you know, clean and safe environments. Um, I guess probably maybe the way that um, New Yorkers might think about something like Central Park. Yeah. Um, but that was just a, a, a norm sort of in the places that I got to experience in Germany. Yeah.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting that we can sometimes think of going outside as a treat rather than just part of our lives. It should be a part of our lives. I read this study recently about a, a primary school in Scotland that all the schools in Scotland were contacting the schools saying, we want to do things as well as you're doing it. They didn't have any obese children and all the grades were higher than the average scores. And when they drilled down to study this, they attributed this to something called the daily mile. And every kid in that school had an opportunity to do a daily mile. Different classes went outside at different times. That every child went outside to do their daily mile, and the teachers went with them. They were smarter. And they were healthier. Hmm. Maybe happier.
1: I think we'll get a little more into the research behind the benefits too, and we'll, we'll kind of see why that. Why that might be, but yeah what a what an enriching opportunity again, that I think is not so much baked into our society as much, but I'm seeing that sort of play out in real time. You mentioned having a young son, and he like he's kind of like I was as a kid, lives outside mm-hmm. like now that the weather's gotten better and he's now mobile and um, can get around and can explore and kind of understand things, getting him inside is is a It's a daily struggle. (laughs) As soon as we pull in, when we get home, you get about five minutes before he's beating on the front door saying, side, 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 and pointing at the door to to go outside and get out there. And we spent, I mean, literally for the past month and a half now, it seems, we've probably been outside in the evening, you know, Monday through Friday, and we've probably been outside for at least an hour um, each one of those days, just playing and exploring and... And um, getting to know the neighbors and that sort of thing, too. So it's been um, really fun to to see that love grow um, yeah. and that curiosity and him pointing out so many things that I would not have noticed. Um, I've lived in our house for 11 years now, and I discover something sort of new <laughs> each week, it seems like. It's like, that's kind of bad. <laughs> like, I've li- I lived here 11 years. <laughs> I didn't notice wonderful. this tree.
0: <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Use your child as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we saw this raising our children. We had a great neighborhood to walk in, and we'd take the kids on walks. And Ellen, our older one, we couldn't get around the block with her because she wanted to lie down in everybody's garden and experience the poppies like Dorothy did mm-hmm. on the way to Oz. And Drew, we could never get around the block because she wanted to pick up every caterpillar, every rock, every stick. Mm-hmm. And so we still had bookcases full of the sticks and the rocks that were like sculpture Mm -hmm. to her. So our kids teach us so much. So you have a wonderful little 18-month-old teacher.
1: Yeah, and we have a very extensive collection of pine cones as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's backtrack and actually get into the details a little bit more. So. Uh, really looking at the definitions and the evidence of the power of experiencing nature. So I think nature is one of those words that probably has a little bit of like a preconceived notion for folks, um, or maybe they may look at it in too strict of a definition, maybe. So what does nature really mean, um, or what could that look like for folks?
0: Well, some people think of nature as being outside the wall, right? But landscape architects tell us that you can have nature inside the walls. You know, green plants, even paintings of outdoors count. But for the most part, I think we're talking about being outside. Another word for this that some people use is biophilia. Mm-hmm. Biophilia, literally in Latin, means love of life. Some people talk about it as blue green medicine. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Because when you go outside and the sun's shining, the sky's blue, the grass is green, there's a primitive part of our brains that say, it's going to be okay. We have water to drink. We have food to eat. There's not a warring tribe coming at us. There are no predators chasing us. All's good. And that is calming for our brains. It actually helps calm down our smoke alarm. That's the amygdala, that deep, primitive part of our brain that tells us when to run. Mm -hmm. So biophilia is another word for nature, I think. And it makes us who we are.
1: Yeah, I think even personally, when I think about the word nature, I immediately start thinking about like being in a forest. Mm -hmm. Occasionally that may come up as like, being at, you know, the beach or some body of water. And I think that you, you kind of touched on it there, that it's, it's more about kind of the, the zoomed out view. I think being outside is probably sort of the best definition of that because you can, even in the most urban of environments, you can still find nature. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. It's close by.
0: Yeah. And finding that helps you feel connected. You're connected to something bigger than yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are some of the physical benefits of spending time in nature, both short and long term?
0: Oh, thank you. I love talking about some of these studies. There's a lovely study that shows people who exercise in pine forest report a 30% increase in energy levels. And I've tested this. There's a little pine forest in the Jacobson Park Mm -hmm. on Richmond Road, and you can walk right under those pine trees. Great place to take your dog. Another study showed blood pressure reduction was 10% higher in folks who walked in cedar forest, inhaling the essence of cedar lowered the blood pressure. And then depression. Depression was shown to improve more in folks that walk in nature settings versus those who walked in urban settings. Now, walking makes depression better, period, Mm -hmm. but where you are seems to um, affect how much improvement you get. Yeah. And then one of the best studies is about natural killer cells. Natural killer cells are white blood cells that we all have, and their job is to do the surveillance. They're to go out and find the things that are foreign, things that are not healthy, They actually locate cancer cells, and natural killer cells attack the cancer cell and explode them, kind of like a Rambo for cancer cells. So there was a project done where folks lived outside camping for three days, and at the end of three days, their natural killer cells were measured against their baseline, which was measured before the camping trip. And their killer cell number improved by about 50%. That's amazing. But that's not all. About a month later, these same um, killer cell levels were measured, and they were still 23% higher. So a dose of three days in the woods elevated killer cell levels and kept them up for over a month.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: So... A big dose gives a bigger response. Mm -hmm. But we can't all go on a three-day camping trip every week. So uh, small doses, small doses help. Frequency may be more important than duration. Yeah. I encourage folks in the hospital to, quote, go out on the porch. Anytime you get five minutes, just step outside.
1: Yeah, such a small, small practice that Mm -hmm. I think in a moment you probably don't feel like does a whole lot, but there's plenty of research oh, to say yeah. that it actually does. You're
0: exactly right.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we need that reminder to be like, oh, this doesn't feel worthwhile in this moment. I'll just continue to scroll on my phone for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, it's not worth the effort to go out there or whatever. And then it turns out it's, it's a fallacy. <laughs> like, you're right. Yeah. You're, you're going to get a benefit of it. Um, I think no matter how small that is. Um, but what's the general recommendation for being outside?
0: Well, Somebody calculated this number. (laughs) The number we hear quoted a lot is 120 minutes a week. So that's about 20 minutes for six days. So that for a lot of us, it's like walking from the parking lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But 20 minutes a day, that's that's a pretty good dose. There is one study that shows a 50-minute walk in nature was shown to improve memory by 20%. There are also studies that show children that are labeled with ADHD or hyperactivity. When they're taken outside for an hour and then brought back in to do their schoolwork, their levels of concentration and the duration of concentration was equal and sometimes better than what they got with a dose of Ritalin. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's pretty amazing to kind of highlight the power of that as well. Like something as simple as going outside for an hour is just as powerful and maybe in some cases more powerful than, you know, good modern medicine. <laughs> and no it's amazing. Si-
0: no side effects and no copay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, worst side effects you got to deal with are potentially, you know, sunburns or yeah. things like that, which we can <laughs> yeah. also, you know, deal with or prevent um, would be the better way to deal with those in advance, right? Exactly. So what What's kind of the reasoning behind this? You've mentioned a little bit about like sort of the essential oil aspect of it. Is there any other research as to why being in nature actually causes some of these benefits?
0: Mm-hmm. It's a nice time to be studying this because we can really study it like hard science. We now can measure markers. So when people spend time outdoors, we measure blood levels for cortisol. We know it's lower. You can do studies on saliva and find lower levels of cortisol in people who've taken their lunch hour outside. We know that um, blood pressure's lowered, heart rate's lowered, cortisol levels, adrenaline levels, and all this promotes a better nervous system. Our um, sympathetic nervous system sometimes just gets away with us, you know, we're, we're we're getting used to rapid heartbeats and breathing 20 times a minute, we don't have to live that way. If we can let our parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest part of our nervous system, that part of the brain can become stronger, can become easier to call on. We don't have to feel like our smoke alarm is going off all the time.
1: Yeah, it kind of balances out that stress cocktail mm-hmm. that gets wound up in us uh, pretty pretty easily, I think, these days.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of studies done on attention span. People who p- spend time outdoors are found to be more creative in their problem solving. They solve problems faster, work better with teams, have better relationships with their significant others and their families, and their attention focus and concentration is better.
1: Yeah, there's there's kind of that research and basically that default mode network is working. I think it's it's kind of twofold. I think you might be getting the like nature benefit of that and kind of tapping in and and you know, reducing stress and those types of things in the moment um, while also you're physically taking a break at that point as well and letting your brain work on problems in the background. While you're kind of again working on the physical sensations in your body and trying exactly. to lower those and, yeah. um, it's really amazing the power of it I think you you kind of alluded to it earlier as well um, talking about walking in an urban environment versus walking in a, a nature environment
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, same thing I think that's a, a good um, example of that for sure about just like the creativity and the focus aspect of that and, and why that might um, occur for us and why it is so good for us to to do those things. Um, and it's not only physical, it's, it's helping us mentally and emotionally as well. So can you maybe dive a little bit into that too um, and how that kind of helps our resilience, I guess you could say.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to go back to that you just said, you said, we don't even realize it's happening. There's a wonderful study shown showing um, how muscle tension starts decreasing the moment someone walks outside. We're not even aware. We don't even know that's happening. But um, one thing that's included in resiliency is staying healthy, right? And so we spend more time outdoors. We get such a boost in our immunity that we don't get as sick as often. But when we do get sick, we have this resiliency so that we don't miss as many days at school or at work. We have kind of a bank to call on when we build resiliency by being outside.
1: Yeah, I think that's why I asked the question at the forefront about like a time that you felt that because I think we can now kind of touch back onto to that um, and, and that aspect of resilience. And I think that is because it, those experiences stick with us. So we remember the the feelings and the smells and the sights and all the senses, really, Um, if we're really present in that moment, that's a a good opportunity for that to really cement in our brains. And I I think I even alluded to it as well of like tapping into that when I need it. I have that memory. It's kind of like a a core memory or it's a tool that I can draw upon when I need it. And maybe if I am stuck inside for a little too long, um, I can take a moment to at least just think about that experience. Um, And it, it... kind of in the moment, just feels a little bit more calming, feels a little bit better. Um, and it also kind of drives me to seek it more, too, exactly, right? Exactly,
0: exactly. Being outside helps us to develop this notion of interconnectedness, not only with the rest of the planet, but with the rest of humanity. Mm. And interconnectedness strengthens resiliency. We can talk about that more whenever you're ready.
1: Now, yeah, feel free. Dive into it now.
0: Well, it, it, this thought you touched on earlier about this sense of awe, nature is one of the best ways to experience this sense of awe. There's lots of science going on right now. Studying awe. awe helps us to look up and out. And when we're looking that way, it reduces the self-focus that may become a little too strong sometimes. So psychologists show us that humans feel more connected when they learn to experience awe. There was a time when our ancestors may have experienced this every day, but it's been provoked by studying nature it turns us away from ourselves and toward others and this is a building block for a more interconnected life it connects us to something bigger than ourselves it's built on two blocks the first block is a sense of immensity as you were standing at the grand canyon you perceived vastness like someone standing on the beach of pacific ocean mm-hmm. It's hard to comprehend that kind of vastness. And the second block is this need for accommodation. This is a cognitive adjustment in our brains that leads us to accommodate this new knowledge, this recognition of vastness. And over time, recognizing this, making this accommodation, transforms us over the long haul. So we get used to feeling smaller. Some people write about the small self, but maybe it's really the right self, the right size self. This sense of all just makes us connect with others. Um, people who are described as folks who acknowledge all are people who are also described as being more humble and they are more likely to give other people credit for their own personal success. So this This could be a good thing for all of us. It gives us a more realistic understanding of our place in nature. We're a small cog in a big, a big planet. So I encourage all of us to think of awe as another little dose of medicine. Practice it. Practice awe. It will make us more resilient.
1: Yeah, seeking awe, I think also it makes our troubles feel a little less Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Not only does it make us sort of feel like, okay, we're in this larger system um, and we're not, I guess we're not as harsh on ourselves maybe. It's kind of a a form of self-compassion in a way, I think. But it kind of lets you sort of step back and think about what really is a problem. And I think that can help us in the moment when we're experiencing stress in some way. To sort of take a step back, have that broader view, to think about like what does this really mean? Is this something that I actually might need to be in, you know, fight, fight or freeze, um, or can I set this aside and realize that this isn't the end of the world? You know, even though our bodies, our bodies don't do a really good job of distinguishing between the two, we have to kind of trigger it every once in a while, and I think that's what all is really good at, and. I've seen interviews and quotes um, with astronauts who have come back oh, from yeah. space. Yeah. And that's like the grandest of this idea of all and how it's like fundamentally changed them in that experience of going to space and looking back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And that's like obviously the, the most zoomed out view that you could possibly get. Basically, none of us are going to get that experience. <laughs> Anybody listening to this or might maybe there's one person that will eventually get to do this. Um, but by and large, we're not going to get that opportunity. Um, but that's the idea of it. Again, I talked about the sequoias, how large oh, those yeah. trees are. That's that vastness, that grandness of those things that lead us to that. But when we're talking about seeking all to, I don't think it has to always be that grand. I think that's where when we mm-hmm. kind of talked about being outside with my kid every day. Mm-hmm. That's where I've started to really notice that awe can be literally right outside of your door. Exactly. Picking up like a stick and he's like,
0: whoa,
1: a stick. And you're like, I would have walked completely by that stick and would not have cared at (laughs) all. Uh, But just seeing like and noticing all of those things that are around you can start to create some awe and looking at an individual flower and the detail in it or a leaf. In the veins of that leaf and like just kind of thinking about that like just looking into a kind of a micro example can still create that experience of all in real time in an accessible way for folks right yeah this is also a thought i had on the way over here i was walking through what's i guess called the south lawn now where the kerwin blending complex was and they had the big line trees there and it was a little breezy and i was watching the trees sway as I walked through, and I thought about this idea. I recently planted a tree like a year and a half ago or something in our front yard, and when we lost our other one, and we had to stake the tree, and that was to help it grow and root in the early stages. But I didn't take those stakes up, and so I had to look into, what like when am I actually supposed to take these stakes away from this tree? And turns out, you're supposed to take it about a year in, because the tree actually needs that to wind. It needs, to, yeah. it needs to move, it needs to feel that, and that's how it grows stronger. And I think that's where nature can teach us a lot about resilience, there's tons of those lessons. Um, but just for me, thinking about the idea of a tree and I watch those trees sway on the way over. I was like, oh, that is resilience. Yeah. It needs that push and pull, it needs that sway of the wind, it needs to be tested in some way to grow and to get stronger and dig its roots deeper yes. and those types of things. Yes, Um So it really dawned on me on the way over here. And all that came from just taking a moment to actually watch those trees as I walk through and try to, again, sort of put it into practice and do the things that I'm hoping other folks are doing and learning from, from this podcast as well.
0: When you talked about walking over here across campus, you know, our campus is a pharmacy of healthy benefits, you know, you know, you have to remember that UK was a land-grant mm-hmm. institution, 1865. So we need to honor that and, and take it into consideration as we're walking across. I was here Sunday walking with my husband a long time, and we walked through the Arboretum, of course. And when you're in the Arboretum, which is marvelous, but you have the opportunity to, for expansive views you get the long view in the Arboretum. You get the big blue sky and you can take long steps, big long strides and move stretching every part of your body out. And then we came over to that little garden at, um, it's at the corner of Washington and Limestone. It's Mm -hmm. called the Matthew's Garden, which is next door to uh, the law school. That is a treasure that's been here on campus for decades. But it's a small place. It's a whole different experience. It's about being immersed in green right now. Everything's close to you. Each tree and each plant's close to each other. There are wildflowers. You get the chance to look down under the underbrush and look for the undergrowth. Little ferns that were just unrolling. And it makes you really stop. You stop to look at these little things on the ground. And when you talked about that tree, you should go over there and see a tree in the Matthews Garden that was recently blown over by the last windstorm we had, and the root part of that tree is still up in the air. It gives you such an appreciation for what's under the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the yin and yang of campus right now, Mm -hmm. Um, the Arboretum versus the Matthews Garden.
1: Yeah, yeah. What are some other places on campus that are your hidden gems? Because I think Matthew's Garden is definitely one for me that I think people don't quite know about, Mm -hmm. don't know that it's there and what it is. It just kind of seems like if you end up in that area, you could stumble upon it, but you have to kind of seek it out based on where it is. Um, So are there uh, some other locations that you really enjoy around campus?
0: The Matthew's Garden is really a jewel, and we're so fortunate that it's still there. Well... um, Monday, I walked with an old friend who's moving away, and we took our last walk through campus. We are both alumni and had children here, and we walked all through campus. And it is such a joy to see what's been preserved, conserved, and saved here. There are trees here that when we were here students in the 70s, Places that we like to sit and study are still here. So this campus, I believe if I'm remembering this correctly, has over 12,000 trees on it. Wow. Yeah. I encourage everyone to find, find your tree on this campus. Claim your tree. Connect with it. There are t- over twelve to 13,000 here now. And we're losing trees fast. <laughs> These kind of storms that we had recently, you know, so I encourage everyone who lost a tree, plant two.
1: Yeah, you lose some of those stately ones that have, have been through a lot and they've, yeah. they've reached their life cycle and it seems a little depressing at the time. Not only the financial cost of taking those trees mm-hmm. down, but just the thought of them being gone um, and the value that they added, but it's created an opportunity to plant new trees. But Um, You mentioned the trees on campus. It's funny you mentioned that because that's something that I've tried to incorporate into a practice on the days that I'm on campus is to really explore those trees. Mm -hmm. Um, And Urban Forest Initiative actually has um, an interactive tree Mm -hmm. map that you can can tap into. So if you look and find an interesting tree and you want to learn more about it, you want to know what it is, maybe it's something you want to plant you can actually go and look, they're all cataloged. Um, So they're color coded and you can click them and you can zoom in on the map and click exactly where that tree is and it'll tell you the information about that tree and you can see past pictures they've taken of it when they have cataloged it. Um, It's really interesting. And so I was actually preparing for this episode, again, trying to put it into practice. I went outside and I prepared for this entire episode outside. So we're in the basement of the William T. Young Library. And so I came over to this area on the like Starbucks side of of the building and I decided to just walk around. So that's one of my respite places because it's nearby to my office. And I decided to walk around and just look at the trees. And I noticed a really cool one like in the middle of that field that I couldn't tell you how many times I walked by it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. But I pulled up the interactive map and I was like, what is this tree? And I clicked it and looked and it's an Osage orange. Oh yeah. Um, and it was just Such an interesting tree, just the way that it grew and the like the bark on it, and kind of like you were mentioning with clouds earlier, you could find you know, faces or Mm -hmm. just different you know, designs or things in that tree. And it was such an interesting looking tree um, that I was shocked that I had never noticed that that was there before. And it was a unique tree, I'd never even heard of it. So, that was uh, an example recently where again, I've put that into practice and I've, I've tried to walk around campus and, and really pay attention to what's there and not only what's there, but the work that's been done to get that there. Yeah, um, I mentioned this in the last episode, our grounds crew making campus as great as it is, they have a huge part in that. Urban Forest Initiative has a huge part in that. Um, and I think that gratitude practice kind of doubles down on the nature aspect of just physically sort of being there.
0: Exactly. This is a great opportunity to give a shout out to our grounds people. Stacey Borden, who's a friend of mine, leads that department. They have done a fabulous job. In the Arboretum now, there are new metal tags on a lot of the trees that allow you to identify the tree. That's new. When trees are downed here, they try to use the wood. They save it and use it for some use. I don't know exactly what they're building out of that, but they don't just pitch it.
1: Yeah, I've noticed the mulch has changed mm-hmm. in the last oh, few that's years. Yeah, that's one of the big uses, I think. You're
0: exactly right. I've
1: noticed that mulch, the like color of it, and it seems a lot more natural. And, yes. I'm um, kind of doing that full full cycle, I think, um, which has been really nice to see. Mm-hmm. I think I've got I've got a couple other places that I really enjoy. Um, I, my office is out of the and Center, and just a little, like, right there at the entrance of the Johnson Center and the Lancaster Aquatic Center, um, there's, like, a little courtyard. And that's, for me, that's a, a kind of simple place to go out. And there's, I mean, there's probably 12 different types of trees just in that little small area. And then around the President's House. Oh, um, yes. I think that's a place that people yeah. forget about that you can actually walk through there. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's beautiful. And that's and that's a wonderful place to go. Super shaded, a lot of big old trees, um, a lot of great plants uh, down on the ground as well. Really well manicured and looks really, really nice. And um, there's tons of benches over there to go sit and it's a really inviting space to be. And I'm always shocked that people don't spend more time. I would have, like if it, if it were me, I would <laughs> I'd, I'd probably go work there every day <laughs> if I could. Um, Cause it's just such a, just a great spot. But every once in a while I go over there and I'm like, I'm shocked there's nobody else here. Like I felt like I'm the only one and it's, you know, dead center, heart of campus. Yeah, um, And there's very few people there. But I will occasionally go, and there'll be, you know, 15, 20 people over there as well. So I like to know that people are using it, um, and and you're invited to be in there.
0: We're really lucky to have spots like that on our campus. I was on a Zoom call yesterday with doctors from all over the country who are working on teaching nature as medicine. Harvard, UCLA, Dana-Farber, big places. And we had this interesting conversation about nearby nature. Now, UCLA doesn't have a lot of space to have a big garden. So they are really working on building small places called nearby nature where people can just have a moment of respite. And we have a couple of places like that. There's one at the Samaritan's Hospital at the employee entrance. There's a little healing garden there. And there's one between um, here on this campus between Old Chandler and um, the Roach Building. There's a little bench Mm -hmm. and a Japanese maple there and a little rake where you can rake in the gravel. So small spaces, small spaces work.
1: Yeah, you mentioned a little bit too about bringing that inside because I think that could be a barrier for some folks not necessarily being able to get outside. So what's the sort of, I guess, efficacy of having it indoors or viewing it from indoors? How does that play into this picture of getting the benefits of nature?
0: There have been studies on this for a long time. I I remember reading old studies that showed people generally were happier when they were in spaces that had green plants. Um, I remember as a student reading a paper about patients who had their gallbladders removed. And back then, people were in the hospital for days. But the point of the study was people healed faster, had shorter stays in the hospital when they had green plants in their rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's been expanded now to show that just looking out a window, having a view out a window of a green space helps, as well as having um, pictures in the room of green spaces. And if you've been in Pave, our new newer hospital, which is now what? 13 or 14 Mm -hmm. years old. But each one of those patients' room has a large outdoor scene in the room. And I think it helps. I think it helps set the mood in the room.
1: Yeah, I think you you mentioned it earlier about the, like, the calmingness of the colors, you know, blue and green. Yeah, yeah. And like how that, again, sort of taps into that sort of primal nature of what we as humans were drawn to um, and what helped us feel at ease in in society 250,000 years ago, right? Exactly. So what tips do you have for folks to spend more time outside in nature, kind of thinking about barriers they might run across or particularly say, you know, in a work day, and we've talked about bringing it indoors a little bit, but for folks who really wanna get outside, um, what tips do you have for incorporating that more into their into their day, whether that be in the, the work day or the weekends?
0: I feel like you just read my mind, Jacob because I wanted to bring that up. I encourage folks to take your meetings outside. A lot of people are meeting on Zoom now, and, and they Zoom on their phones. So go outside and sit under a tree with your earpods in and do your Zoom meeting you and get some sun. We can have walking meetings. I love walking meetings. You can do your 30-minute meeting while you're doing your 30-minute walk. Mm-hmm. We can do that here because we have great places to walk. And then uh, all those tips that everybody's heard about park farther away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, parks far away as you can when you have time to walk in. It's a joy on especially the nice weather days. It Meet, takes meetings outside. I taught a class last semester with Dan Stone and another colleague of ours, Leanne Wamsley in the nursing school, we took that class outside and just sat in the grass as often as we could. Remember, we did that as kids. We had class outside. So move it outdoors whenever you can, or at least get near a window.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. And we mentioned, like, if you, if you can get to a window at least, spend a few minutes, say you have five minutes, go to one of those windows, wherever you are. If you're in the hospital or uh, one of the campus buildings, go to one of those windows that overlooks one of the the nice green spaces. I would think that most areas of campus would have access to that. Um, And fortunately, if you can get outside, you're definitely within a two-minute walk probably of some really great space to explore. So I think that would be a, a great way to, kind of as we alluded at the beginning, take advantage of any of those moments that you have, that two to five minutes that you feel like is not worth it is going to benefit you. Um, And it's well worth putting your phone down for a a couple minutes and going and seeing something new that you may not have noticed before. I think that's a, a really kind of tangible practice, but then incorporating it into more of the culture of what we do with walking meetings and just taking those meetings outside or doing like I did to prep for this episode and and just, you know, taking my laptop or um, in my case, I actually was just taking notes on my phone mm-hmm. and I just sat um, out in a in a nice shaded spot and um, a quiet spot and I sort of let nature kind of guide some of these questions in my prep work for this episode too. Um, and it was definitely my favorite one to, <laughs> favorite episode <laughs> to prep for so far. So I think I might make that a regular practice as much as I can especially for the spring, summer, and and fall episodes. Good job. All right. So I did this with Dr. Dan Stone in the previous episode, um, and I think you're a perfect fit for this as well. So if you're open to it, I'd love to put your love of nature and mindfulness into practice. So would you be willing to lead us through a short guided imagery?
0: Should that be fun. We'll just do a short meditation about being outside. If you're not used to meditating, I just encourage you to, get comfortable. You might want to lie on the floor or just sit in a chair. Make your spine straight so you get lots of room for your lungs to work. If you're comfortable, you can close your eyes now. If not, just fix your gaze on the spot in front of you. Let's just spend a couple of minutes together going outside. We'll bring our focus to our breath right now. Just take some comfortable, easy breaths. And in your mind's eye, let's see ourselves walking through a forest. We're surrounded by tall, lush trees. Some have smooth bark that looks like shark skin. Others have rough, grooved, aged bark that's flaking away. But each of these trees is building a soothing canopy for us. And as we walk through the forest, we begin to notice what's under our feet. There's moss ferns, mushrooms, wildflowers. You might see a few acorns, maybe even a buckeye. Under this canopy of green, we can hear the birds. Listen to the birdsong. We feel the breeze, it's blowing across our skin. We might smell pine, maybe cedar, maybe honeysuckle. There might even be a wild rose. Walking through this forest, we have the luxury of filling our lungs with crisp, clean air. We are inhaling oxygen that these trees made for us. They are using our CO2, our carbon dioxide, for photosynthesis. The air on this planet has been recycled for over two billion years. This cycle has never been interrupted. It is precious. This walk in this forest can renew us with energy and calm. This is made possible through the interconnectedness of life. This is a gift that is ours to honor and to protect. Take a couple more deep breaths in this beautiful green forest. Now we can wiggle, blink, stretch, whatever you need to do.
1: <sighs> it's hard to, to come out of that, but the thought that like immediately pops into my head after doing that is even after talking about this and knowing the, the benefits of nature and everything and, and even being able to draw on this when we are not even physically in it, but that power is still there. Um it's still still amazing to me <laughs> that we can draw on it in a moment like that in just a couple of minutes um, without even having to step outside at all. Um, just the, I guess the the creative part of our brain to be able to draw back on previous experiences and sort of draw or paint that picture in our minds um, and, and reap the benefits of it um, without even getting outside. But we know that getting outside helps us Draw on that later too, so.
0: You're exactly uh, right,
1: Jacob. Yeah, thanks for sharing that.
0: We are nature. We are nature.
1: We're certainly a part of it. I think that's one of the benefits we haven't talked about is getting into nature, that connectedness to it obviously makes us want to seek it more, but also helps us really want to preserve it Mm -hmm. and make it better (laughs) exactly so that's a a, could be a whole nother conversation i think exactly Um, but yeah a really quick tie to the future of nature as well so in addition to any resources you've already mentioned and i've mentioned as well where can listeners find support at uk or in the community
0: well we all have our phones in our hands a lot of the day and um, podcasts are good I listen sometimes to um, Body of Wonder, Body of Wonder's led by Andrew Weil. Um, There's also a scientist at the University of Illinois whose name is Dr. Ming Kuo, K-U-O. She's done a lot of work on studying urban nature and how that affects our lives. So I encourage you to listen to any of her podcasts. I have several books that I draw from. One is written by Richard Love. He wrote The Last Child in the Woods. It's an interesting book. And um, The Well-Lived Life by Gladys McGarry. Gladys McGarry is 102 years old. She's still practicing medicine. She's writing books that help us live a well-lived life. She's invaluable.
1: Amazing. I will link those in the show notes as well. I'll mention one as well. I've, I've talked about it in the, the outros, I think, of the last couple of episodes, but you can please have access to the Headspace app as well. Oh, yeah. And within Headspace, there are some soundscapes for mm-hmm. things like focus or calm. Um, so if you just want to, again, experience nature remotely, um, you can. That's a great way to, to bring technology into it um, in a positive way. But they also have meditations and mindfulness practices um, and some education in there around nature as well. So how to be more mindful or how to do uh, an outdoor walking meditation, those types of things. So there's a lot of different ways to explore nature within that app as well. So definitely check it out if that's something you're interested in. As a UK employee, you get free access to it and we have a certain number of licenses available um. So definitely take advantage of them. And one of the bonuses of that, any of our employee users can actually share up to five additional memberships with your family members as well. So oh, wow. um, it's not just a perk for you. You can share it with the whole family. So definitely check that out. I'll keep a link in the show notes as well for that too. So we'll close here with a, a few rapid fire type of questions. So first one, what song brings about a sense of resilience in your life? <laughs>
0: Well, I have two. Perfect. You know, on that Monday morning when it's hard to get going, I I think of the movie Trolls mm-hmm. and Justin Timberlake.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He recorded "Can't Stop the Feeling." Okay, put it on your playlist. It'll it, get you going.
1: I, I actually added that one a few a few episodes back. So perfect one. Um, that's an excellent one. Uh, I'll double down on that one. Okay.
0: Now. The one I've had with me since camp, I've, I've used a lot in my head. I don't know if it's recorded anywhere, but um, take this with you. The Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun, the rain, and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, take that with you. And teach it to your your little boy that came from camp. And Johnny Appleseed was a real guy. You know that? Mm-hmm. And he really did walk west with all the immigrants, planting trees. And he did wear coffee sacks, his shirts. He wore no shoes. They say the soles of his feet were so thick he could walk across ice. But it was important to him to plant apple trees. And he got free seeds from cider meals, Mm -hmm. and he thought if he planted enough apple trees, nobody would ever be hungry. That's amazing. Go, Johnny.
1: Yeah. That sentiment, I think, is something that we we can take with us. So what essential piece of resilience advice do you have for UK employees or just our listeners in general?
0: Well, I like the words of Jacques Cousteau. And I think one of these quotes from him is really important. Shock said, We we protect what we love. We love what we understand. And we understand what we are taught. I think that's key, teaching. And Jacob, you are doing a great job teaching. You're picking out these subjects and uh, having conversations about really important things. So thank you for doing that.
1: Well, I appreciate that. It's literally just things I'm interested in half the time. <laughs> I keep uh, I keep watching the trends and what people are interested in online and um, all those things, and then it's just half of the questions I have are just things I don't know the answer to. And I just... <laughs> Realize that I don't know the answer, but I know a lot of people on this campus have the answer. Um, so that was the entire impetus behind that. And so I'm happy to play my part. So thank you thank very much. Thank you,
0: Jacob. Your curiosity is making a difference. I
1: hope so. That's the, that's the goal, at least. All right. The last word What's the one message you want listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: This is something that I learned in high school and I've kept it with me. I think it's important. When we all work for the common good, good becomes common.
1: That's good. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, I thank you so much for coming over here and spending a little time with me and talking about nature, leading us through a little bit of nature. And just again, just generally sharing your knowledge and spending your time and helping spread, spread that message. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jacob. It's been a joy. And now it's time for my wrap up. I really loved the recounting of Johnny Appleseed at the end. I think it was a great sentiment to wrap the episode with. It reminds me of an aphorism that's taken many forms over the years. The version I like best comes from author and theologian Elton Trueblood. He writes, a man has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of human life when he plants shade trees under which he knows full well he will never sit. So if you take anything from this episode, I hope it's that you'll go out and plant trees under whose shade you do not plan to sit. Both literally and figuratively. As always, links to everything mentioned throughout the episode can be found in the show notes. There, you'll also find a link to the HR calendar where you can browse all upcoming work life and well being events from University of Kentucky Human Resources. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email health and Wellness at UKY.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash HR slash wellbeing. Live well.